It is the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode 9, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Joining me, as always, to break down bad performances, great performances around the league, he is Kyle Posey of Niners Nation. Kyle. How is there anything going on today? Am I am I uh, am I missing anything? How you doing, brother? Uh, no, slow news day for me. You know, not much has gone on at all. Doing great. How's life, man? What's I just saw some news that there is some COVID going around with the San Francisco 49ers. Can you can you touch on that real quick before we start to get into like the meat and potatoes of the show? Yeah, wide receiver Kendrick Bourne caught COVID tested positive so he said that he's not feeling any side effects that's what his agent said the 49ers the, the game's still planned for Thursday but as of now they are probably going to start Brandon Ayuk and all practice squad receivers so should be fun should be great that's something to keep an eye on as we work through this week and obviously there's no other news whatsoever happening around the world so you can really focus your energy on following the uh, the 49ers there but so we, we're gonna we're gonna do our normal bit. We're gonna talk about some top quarterback performances of the week. We're gonna get to Kyle's defensive MVPs on the other side of the ball. I wish we had some trade deadline stuff to talk about, but literally nothing happened on that front. So we're going straight into it. Other than that, I mean, you know, the 49ers cut Dante Pettis, and there were some other small moves. But let, let's get into the top quarterback performances of the week, as we do every week here. Number one, okay, I get it. It's the Jets, uh, but Patrick Mahomes, man. I'm actually this is going to lead into a question, but are they 28th in points allowed per game? The Jets defense, yes. Are they 31st in pass defense DVOA for sure? Are they coached by a robot sent from the future to destroy football? Uh, some people say yes. I put quarterbacks that have played the Jets on here before, and when you have the most touchdowns for the week with five, and you've thrown for the most yards by over 60, when you have the highest yards per attempt with 9.9, you go 31 for 42 with two drops and a passer rating of 144.4. And like, it's hard not to celebrate that performance because watching Patrick Mahomes is really fun. And like, keep in mind, this is a Jets defense that held the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen to 18 points the week before. So they're bad. Yeah, but also Mahomes is Mahomes is Mahomes. And he was damn near perfect in this one. And he just really never got out of rhythm. I, I, I watched all of his throws from this one. And the ball was getting out quick to the right guy. Uh, just a great example of a quarterback executing the scheme when it's there, taking what's there, and then creating when it's not there. Uh, one small gripe. I got to dock Mahomes for the 30-yard touchdown to McCole Hardman. Those little touch passes with the jet motion should 100% be counted as runs. I don't care that the ball technically goes forward in the air. Um, a lot of credit goes in this one to Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. The screen game is always great for them. The RPOs look great. They have the obligatory deep red zone shovel pass to uh, Travis Kelsey for the touchdown. Props to Tyree Kill, too. The 36-yard touchdown as well. Uh, that's one of the better corner post cells that you're going to see. And all Osma Holmes had to do was get it there because Hill was by himself. And fast is one thing, but getting open is another. And Hill was super clean on that one. Uh, last play to note on this. He had a scramble to his left. We were we were actually talking about this before the show. He scrambles to his left, so it's his off hand, you know, off ball hand side. He throws against his momentum with a ball that teleported through a defender. Uh, the man is defying science, but that's nothing new. Kyle, all of that said, should we draw a line in the sand right here and say that the Jets disqualify any quarterback performance now that we have eight games of evidence with this defense and this team being, you know, buns, I guess would be the word, certified booty cheeks? What do you think? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we should. And it's tough to say that because obviously they're not very good and nobody's going to argue that. But when you just do what Patrick Mahomes did, and yes, Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes, but come on, man. 
look what he did. Like, look at those throws you were talking about. We haven't even talked about the one where somehow the ball goes past the helmet where it looks like it, it whistles through the person <laughs> on that post route to Tyreek Hill that you mentioned. Like, that is almost on a line. It's just all of his passes look great. He's doing a good job of just buying time when he has to as well. So even when, you know, he has to go outside of the structure, he's not panicking. So I really don't think so. Even when he's challenged, man, he, he just still looks like a perfect quarterback. He's he's just unreal. And a question that I wanted to ask you is, is it too soon to crown him as this LeBron character where, you know, we just, oh, Patrick Mahomes threw for this. Patrick Mahomes did that because we're so immune to his greatness already that it seems like we're overlooking him. Because if I'm not mistaken, is this the first time we've we talked about Patrick Mahomes? I, think, I know it's been a, been some time. I, I think it is the first time we've really dug into Patrick Mahomes other than maybe like a preview of, of the Ravens game or whatever the case is. But I actually think you're onto something there. And, and I think eventually you, you might see like a, a, a shifting, a, a turning of the tide in terms of like everyone either like just not celebrating his greatness from week to week because it's just like it's a given, right? We expect Patty Mahomes to go out there and just light the world on fire. I, I do think it's interesting in the future if like he's going to have that like LeBron effect or, you know, someone's got to take a, a stance against this guy, right? Because like you're not making any money praising Patrick Mahomes. You could probably make some money by taking the opposite stance. You could skip Bayless, you know, like like he does with LeBron. You could skip Bayless, Patrick Mahomes at some point. And look, people don't love Tom Brady. A lot of people hate Tom Brady. They continue to hate against him. When does that public opinion shift to where fans are just like sick of hearing about Patrick Mahomes because he's always so magical? I don't know, Kyle. What, what do you think happens with that? I just – I don't – I <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know either. Just because – so look at his – listen to his numbers from this past week. Um, his EPA per play, Patrick Mahomes, 0.65. Like, oh, okay, that's a fake number. His success rate, 64.3. And again, yes, that a lot of that could be could come from the Jets, but his expected completion percentage or his completion percentage over expectation was 8.2. His air yards, he's throwing. It's not like he's dinking and dunking. And yeah, you mentioned the shovel pass, but those that's just the Chiefs' offense. That's going to happen on every yeah. every series, especially when they get down near the goal line. So his air yards were nine point two. He's averaging nine point two yards in the air. So he's throwing the ball down the field, man. Just, uh, superstar, great. I I don't know. I, I'm running out of superlatives to talk about him. Yeah. So he probably should end up on this list a little bit more frequently, just because of how uh, special he is. Let's let's go to let's go actually go to a guy that is making his one millionth appearance on this list. My number two quarterback performance of the week is Russell Wilson. And Kyle, since you cover his opponent in this one, I wanted to kick it to you to explain what happened here, but I'll I'll set you up with some stats so we can get that out of the way before we get into the nerdy stuff. 27 for 37, 261 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. One of the best completion percentage over expectation marks of the week. Uh, Kyle, the 49ers have found themselves on the other side of this list a little too much lately, but what happened in this one specifically? Yeah, Russell Wilson, as is Patrick Mahomes, is pretty close to perfect. So there's a throw that really stands out to me where he looks right, doesn't like what he sees, comes all the way back to the other side of the field on the far hash. DK Metcalf is 15 yards down the field, maybe a little bit more running like a comeback blaze out route on the money in stride. Like Jason Fred is right there. Yeah. His execution, like his his precision is just unreal. And his loft, like his trajectory on these throws. So he can throw the ball on the line across the field, but he can also, as we've seen, hit these moon balls that always always land in a perfect spot the dk metcalf is just running straight running really fast and he puts his <laughs> hands up and the ball lands in his lap um i i just don't know that there's much of a defense for what russell wilson is doing processing is great he always knows where to go with the ball but one thing that i really like about him is that he always seems to buy time with his legs 
and we constantly talk about, you know, pressures and hurries, but those numbers don't matter to Russell Wilson because if you don't get on him on the ground, it's not going to, it's not going to affect him. He finds ways to either get ahead of the sticks, make a big play, but he just loved the way he buys time with his legs and always finds a way to put the offense in a better position. Yeah, a lot of times you look at like, you know, PFF's time to throw, right? And when it's real low, like Ryan Fitzpatrick was in the top three this year. Big Ben's probably in the top three still. You look at these quarterbacks, yeah, they're just getting rid of it super quick and they're just working with the rhythm of the offense and whatnot. Russell Wilson creates his own rhythm to the offense. He goes by his own drum beat and it's still special for him. And and look, I I also want to touch on, you mentioned DK Metcalf. Can we stop, stop dunking about DK Metcalf? I think I think everybody understands that he was underdrafted. I, I, I think there have been enough tweets. I think we've met the quota. The guy is good. And like, look, I would love to dunk about him, too. I had him as wide receiver, one of the top 15 prospect. But uh, who cares? Like, honestly, right. Right. nobody cares about your draft board. Nobody cares about your fantasy team. Just shut up already. We get it. Just celebrate the guy being really good. I, I, I'm just I'm so sick of it. Anyway. That's that's my own personal gripe there. But let's go to number three. Let's go to uh, Joe Burrow from the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, this was the first rewatch that I had of the week because I'm the number one Titans fan that's actually not a primary Titans fan, probably because the Eagles stink. So I'm kind of shifting my focus here as the year goes on. And uh, I, I just had to know what the hell happened to the Titans. And let me tell you, Joe Burrow was so damn good in this one. And th- this was everything you wanted th- to see from him and thought that you you know he might be. And I think the most impressive thing in this one, and look, he's not the most athletic guy and never was, but in the modern NFL, you have to be able to create outside of structure, and Burrow had some excellent and beautiful escapes in this one. The Titans shot Jadavion Clowney free through the A-gap on a blitz, and Burrow just calmly spins out, avoids the sack, dumps it off with Justin Simmons bearing down on him, turns a seven- or eight-yard loss into a one- or two-yard game. That matters, and that wasn't even the best one of the day, which I think uh, everybody saw where he escapes Harold Landry twice in the same play, then shakes off three more dudes, including Clowney, by the way. And and for you, gentle listener, if you don't have a lot of time on your hands to watch the Bengals, trust me, I get it. I had five. This is like the first year I've watched him in probably three years, which is why I was so surprised by Tyler Boyd, uh, Tyler Boyd, and how good he is. But if you just want to get to the meat and potatoes of this performance here, just watch him on third and fourth down. Just watch those snaps because with that, you'll see him escape pressure on the twenty-four yard toe tapper to T Higgins. The quick release to the flat to Auden Tate, which is the same idea and concept that Daniel Jones threw 10 years late in the game-ending two-point conversion against the Bucs. A great job holding the middle linebacker to create space on a slant for a conversion. The touchdown to Tyler Boyd where Jonathan Joseph, who is now cut, inexplicably gave up his outside leverage. Another Boyd throw where Boyd had one of the craziest reaction times that you'll see. And a clutch throw on third and six up against the two-minute warning on a perfectly placed back shoulder fade to Auden Tate in a clutch situation. So there is a little bit of everything in those conversions. The accuracy, the quick decision-making, creating on his own, escaping pressure, and so on. And that'll give you a good feel of why I'm raving about him in this one. Because the dude came up big in big situations and did it in a lot of different ways. Kyle, I think my question to you on this one as we reach the midway point of the season for a lot of these teams... Right now, if you had to predict Rookie of the Year, are you going with Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow, and 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 why? How do they match up? You know, with your eye test. Man, that's tough because everything Burrow does up until the point he releases the ball is as good as it gets. <laughs> like he is so smart before the play, like just getting his team in the right situation. Like that is a big part of quarterbacking. He also does a great job of not getting flustered, as you mentioned, when they're because. I mean, the Bengals are great at allowing free rushers or just any sort of pressure because for whatever reason, they think going empty is the best way to help their quarterback. Uh, Newsflash, it is not. Um, 
But he, we just see time and time again, he either avoids rushers or he just has a, a subtle slide in the pocket where he either climbs it, steps back, just does whatever it takes to buy the receivers more time. And time and time again, he, he just puts the receivers in a good spot and he gives them a chance. And that's another thing a lot of guys don't really do is they, he gives like T. Higgins, the, the one near the sideline where it almost seemed like it was going out of bounds. Mm-hmm. But T. Higgins was the only person that had a chance because the defender has his back to him. Quarterbacks don't understand when the defender has his back to you, they're not going to be able to make a play on the ball. So like from that point of view, love what Burrow does. But when he throws the ball past 15 yards, um, it's a knuckleball. Like there's no other way to put it. It's not going very fast at all. It's, and it's like he's, he's throwing up like a paper towel roll. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's led to a lot of pass breakups or it just gives the defense a chance to make a play on the ball. So that's going to hurt him. And it's so obvious too. And that's probably why, you know, Herbert might have the edge. And and that seems kind of short-sighted just to say just because Herbert has a better arm. But yeah. I mean, he, he does make a lot of big plays as well. He, he also, as we saw this past week, he's going to, you know, He's still not making the greatest decisions down the field, but I just think overall this season through the first eight games, Herbert has made more plays and he has given his uh, team a better chance down the field and just with his explosive plays. So I think that's going to stand out more. So I would lean Herbert just by a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the records as starters is, is basically the same at this point. They're almost identical in completion percentage. Herbert has the uh, higher touchdown rate, but also the higher interception rate. You mentioned his decision-making there. Uh, adjusted net yards per attempt leans hard for for Herbert, and he's giving you slightly more as a runner. So, like, if I'm calling it today, I'm probably saying it's Herbert. Uh, but I think ultimately Joe Burrow kind of walks away with this thing. And I got to give a lot of credit to uh, Pete Sweeney, my co-host of Monday Football Monday and also of Arrowhead Pride, for calling this upset over the Titans. And I know he's letting it ride with the Bengals for the rest of the season. So if they see that win total go up, I think Burrow has an even bigger chance. So I think it goes Burrow, although I will say that Herbert has a distinct advantage in the deep passing game too. But I mean, Burrow has been better in that department, at least more productive over the last two weeks. Uh, I, I make fun of him, call him baby arm Burrow. But, you know, <laughs> if as long as he can get it there and 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 with the right touch, with the right accuracy, I think he'll be fine. But that, that gap, that deep passing gap production is starting to close over time. Um, I, I'll kick back on one of the things you said as far as the protection goes. I think why they do it, Kyle, like at LSU, Burrow had the most five-man protections frequency-wise, numbers-wise of all the quarterbacks in the draft coming out. That's what they like to do with him at LSU. LSU also had a great offensive line. Now the Bengals don't, but but I think they're trying to make it to where this is what Burrow's comfortable with. He's comfortable with five-man protections. He's comfortable with knowing where the, where the blitz is going to come from, where the free rusher is going to come from, and then being in any smart enough to get it out in time and in rhythm to to one of his guys, he knows he knows where to go with it. So I get that it is going to get you killed every now and then, but I I really just think that that's where Burrow's comfortable. If if you were to say like, all right, let's let's stop doing more of the the five man productions, let's start doing. Would you roll him out more from under center? Like what what would you kind of do with him? More RPOs? What what would you like? Well, five man protections and empty when I have. Um undrafted free agents on the line is probably not the greatest idea yeah, to start yeah. so I, I know but like it it, le- it lets him kind of see where he's sure. going to get killed from and get rid of it you know which is fair i i do i do agree <laughs> with that 
Um, yeah, no, RPOs would be a great idea. And I imagine they could enter just or throw more screens, more quick hitters, more like, yeah. you know, Hank, Hostuke, just real basic one-on-one to get the ball out of his hand stuff. So those are easy concepts that I would like to see Burrow. And that is just help him out, see the field. It'll make life easier for him moving forward. So that is going to do it for our top three quarterback performances of the week. When we come back here on the Palpably Unfair podcast, we're going to get to some defensive MVPs. I got a gripe with PFF to settle. That's coming up next here on the Palpably Unfair podcast. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we're back here on the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode 9, SB Nation, bringing it to you. Thanks to the SB Nation NFL show. Michael Kist here with Kyle Posey. Kyle, every week we have three levels of the defense. We talk about your defensive MVPs. This is coming from the Week 8 slate. So let's start with the defensive line and a guy that I'm kind of shocked that we have not. I don't think we've mentioned him on this show. I know I've talked about him elsewhere, but... A baller, man. Who was the best defensive lineman that you watched from this week? Yeah, this is another guy that is a superstar that we really haven't talked about this year. So I'm going with Cam Jordan from the New Orleans Saints. And the highest compliment that an offense can give you is when they don't block you. And as silly as that may sound, the Bears were reading Cam Jordan on a couple of these plays because they knew they didn't have an answer for him. Uh, Cam Jordan doesn't exactly look the part. Like he's not going to be this freaky looking athlete that's well built or whatever. But unlike T Pain, all he does is win. Uh, <laughs> Jordan was winning inside. He's winning outside. He's winning on stunts, twists, and loops. He's winning from a three point stance, two point stance. It did not matter. There was times in this game where he won with a bull rush. He also won inside with a scissors move. You name it, he just won. And the ways that Jordan wins, whether it's two-gapping as a run defender, whether it's slicing through the offense five yards down the line of scrimmage to make a play, Jordan Jordan just makes plays, man. It's so impressive, and it will forever be impressive because it's happening every game. And he finished this game with a sack. He also had four hurries. He also hit the quarterback. He had two run stops all over the field, making plays all game. Cam Jordan, most dominant defensive lineman this week. That first point you made, uh, I loved it because I remember when the Eagles were going up against the Denver Broncos back in 2017, and everyone was like, "What are the Eagles going to do with Von Miller? Are they going to, you know, they're going to move Von Miller around? How are they going to, you know, beat this guy?" The Denver Broncos defense was was pretty solid up to that point. They were one of the top defenses uh, in the league at that point in the year. The Eagles just didn't block them. 
They just read him. They made him slow down. They made him think. So I, I agree with you. That is a compliment when, you know, they pinpoint you as the guy to read because they want to slow you down from being so destructive. They know they're going to have to deal with you. So they're just going to take you head on and give you an either or proposition and hope that, you know, you guess wrong more often than not. Uh, Cam Jordan, really good in this one. Let's go to the uh, linebackers. Another another guy that I don't think we've said enough about and uh, a guy from the uh, Seattle Seahawks. Who you who you got at linebacker? Yeah, Bobby Wagner read the tweets this week because <laughs> all we heard about was Fred Warner is the best linebacker in the NFL yeah. and he were they were the same number but whatever Fred or whatever Bobby Wagner ate for breakfast he needs to eat that every week because he was a man possessed Sunday he was literally and I mean in the most literal sense running through the 49ers offense he ran through Mike McGlinchey he ran through right guard Daniel Brunskill he ran through running back Jerry McKinnon when he blitzed and give Kid Norton Jr. credit because they were doing sim pressures and they were throwing off the offensive line but Wagner was playing with a level of violence that you just don't really see in the NFL which is kind of crazy knowing all the athletes that are here he finished with five run stops he was only targeted once no completion he had two sacks and he also had two separate QB hits. He was as dominant as it gets. And that was one of the best linebacker performances that I've seen just because he was all over. And even when the 49ers knew that he was coming, they had no answer for him. And that is what made him so impressive. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can make you piss off your, your 49ers following. Who's a better linebacker, Bobby Wagner or Fred Warner? Fred Warner. I think it's okay. Fred Warner. Yeah, I think it's Fred it, Warner. Too. It is very close. And because he, <laughs> speaking of your gripes with PFF, a lot of the, a lot of the issues become when we don't have the targeted plays. But Wagner is so aware of what's going on around him, and then he just relates to receivers. I mean, we can get into all of these technical things that he does well, but he's just so smart. And what we saw on Sunday was like he has that fierce aggression that I don't know if he's been holding in his back pocket for this game, but he let it all out, and it was it was really fun to see. Why does nobody dunk about Fred Warner, right? When was he when was he selected? Was it around 40 or 50 uh in the in the second round, if I'm not mistaken? I had him I had him as a top 30 guy on my board. Oh wow. Why am I not Yeah, why am I not dunking about him more? Why are why aren't people going, "How did you miss on Fred Warner?" cuz if he's the best linebacker in the doggone league, probably cuz people didn't have him that high. I mean, that just shows you how uh, watered down that that DK Metcalf dunk is cuz a lot of people had him as wide receiver one. I keep going back to it because it just it irritates me, man. I, it's You see it so much. Anyway, let's go to the uh, third level of defense. You had someone that you wanted to shout out from the defensive backs. You also wanted to talk, uh, talk about a, uh, a coaching performance uh, from a guy that I, I really love. Kyle, take it away. Yeah, real quick. Fred Warner was drafted 70th overall, and he was the ninth linebacker taken in that draft. So talk oh, your that's, stuff. That's beyond. Yeah. That's beyond DK Metcalf. Yeah. Right? Talk your stuff. I was I – was, I was, 40, 40 plus draft slots higher than the league was on him. You don't see me tweeting every time he makes a play. Everybody needs to calm down. All right. Sorry. Sorry, Kyle. Go ahead. For the record, I'm sure you will. Just give it time. <laughs> Just give it time. Yeah, I want to do. No, you know what? I don't because I don't take my draft board that seriously. And there are plenty of misses on there. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm this genius draft <laughs> analyst, man. I'm not a GM. If I ran a team, I would run it into the ground. Anyway, Kyle, please. You and the rest of us. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Bryce Callahan. 5'9", 188, won a jump ball in the back of the end zone against Mike Williams where he's giving up 32 pounds and six inches against him. But uh, why do teams keep trying him? So Callahan has been targeted on 34 plays this season, according to Sports Radar. And he has not given up a catch over 20 yards. No other DB in the NFL has been targeted that frequently without giving up an explosive passing play. In this game, he was targeted six times, only gave up a catch for three 
yards. And as I mentioned, he had that interception. He also rushed, got in there on one of his blitzes. He also had a run stop. Callen was just really impressive, uh, slot corner-ish, but he was making plays all over the field. So I wanted to, I wanted to shout him out. Now, he's a guy that he was with the Bears, and I thought he played really well when he was pressed into action, and now he's with the Broncos. And I, I think he's always just been a solid player. So I like that bring up. What about the uh, what about the coach? I, I've got like a love affair with like certain coaches around the league. Like defensive coordinator Todd Bowles is one of them. He's so humble, but he, he just has like this great game planning. I think the guy that you're about to mention is another one that I'm I'm starting to think is gonna be legit and his making his team legit and competitive. Who you like? I think this is the first Bill Belichick coach that might be successful. <laughs> um, Brian Flores from Miami, man they they gave it to golf. It looked like well, the they got Vrabel. Yeah, hold on, they got they got Vrabel, but Vrabel was a player, right? He wasn't a coach. Right, them, right, right. Just, that, okay, that okay, doesn't okay. count. He doesn't get credit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that's not going to stop people, of course. But yeah. Yeah. I think that Flores, he's done a great job game planning all year. And this game plan against the Dolphins, or sorry, against the Rams, it looked like sort of a blueprint of the Rams-Patriots Super Bowl. But a lot of teams have been doing that 6-1, uh, just five-man front as well. It just looked like Goff had no idea what to do. And we just talked about sim pressures for what Ken Norton just did. So what's so impressive about this performance and the game plan that the Dolphins had against the Rams is they made their defense look like a foreign language to Jared Goff. And usually when you blitz, quarterbacks will just pick it up. But in this situation, the simulated pressures were throwing Goff all the way off. So if they would blitz on the outside, Goff would look in the inside to take away the short to hit the short crosser. And that's what he usually does. In this situation, he was throwing a defensive lineman would be right there where the short crosser would be. And that would either cause him to pat the ball, go somewhere else, get sacked, or in Goff's situation, throw the ball right to somebody wearing 90. And that is not ideal. I've seen them drop like Christian Wilkins in coverage before. They did it against the Eagles a bunch too. It can it can really throw you off because you are not expecting that. No, not at all. And that's what happened. And it put the it put the Dolphins, and by the Dolphins, I mean the Rams, it put the Rams in a situation <laughs> where they just had no idea what to do on offense. So the Dolphins ended up sacking Jared Goff twice. They hit him seven times. So these mm. pressures were just coming from all over the place, and they had no idea where it was coming from, no idea how to respond. It was causing Goff to hold the ball. I mean, they were moving around their guys. It looked like, I believe, Xavier Howard went into the slot with Cooper Cup a couple of times, and, I mean, it was just a bad matchup for the Rams. They really didn't have an answer. But shout-out to Flores, man, because he's been great all season, and just, this game just highlights some of his genius. I've had Mark Schofield run some data for me in the past about Jared Goff and other quarterbacks uh, around the league. And what I wanted to know was, what is the EPA difference after each hit? So after the first hit, after the second hit, after the third hit, with Jared Goff, and it was more obvious with him than any other quarterback in the league. And I think I think we did this around 2018 is when I asked him to do this. But Goff fell off a cliff after like hit three and four. And as hits continued to accumulate, he just got worse and worse. So if you had hit him seven times... Yeah, I mean, you could see why. And Brian Flores, man, he really cracked the cracked the uh, McVay code in this one. He was well prepared. It was a great game plan. I think Flores is is legit AF. So uh, good for him. What's not legit AF? I have a I have a gripe to talk about here as we uh, as we wrap up. But uh, Kyle, would you believe that the Cowboys' quarterback Trayvon Diggs was PFF's highest graded defensive rookie of Week Eight? Fake news. <laughs> Looking at his analytics, okay. N- now keep in mind. They gave him a grade of 90 point something. That's elite for them. They're saying he had an elite game. He was targeted 10 times. He gave up six receptions for 76 yards, gave up two touchdowns and had two interceptions. Now, here's the thing. 
Both of those interceptions were thrown right to him. On one of them, he has no chance to make a play if Carson Wentz leads John Hightower to the wide open plains in the middle of the field on the post. Second interception, I'll give him some credit for, but that was doubled with a safety and Carson Wentz had no business throwing that ball anyway. So on another Hightower bomb, Hightower inexplicably slowed down to stack digs and the ball dropped harmlessly in front of him if he just like continues running and catches the ball, which is an adventure for Hightower. I get it. That's a lot to ask. That's another six. So in reality, if you value process over results, which is what the PFF grades are supposed to do, Diggs should have given up four touchdowns. And hell, I'll even, I'll even get, uh, like I said, I'll give him the other interception. Four touchdowns, one interception. That's a pretty doggone good day if you're just looking at it like he's a quarterback, right? He was getting worked on basic and patient releases from Travis Fulgham wildly outclassed in that matchup. So I know and, and, and respect and talk with a lot of people at PFF and I use their product and I love their advanced analytics and so on and so forth. I invite any of them, if they're listening to me, uh, please tell me how this works because if that's the grade that your process spits out from that performance, uh, buddy, I got some questions for you because this is gaslighting and there's no other way to explain it. A plus 90 grade, quote unquote elite. I'm sorry. But I disagree. So that I had to get up on my soapbox there. Any additional thoughts on that, Kyle, or, or just in general? Yeah, I mean, we have to talk about the process in football because we can't just talk about the end result. So just because this is like, I would say, based on everything you just described, is peak when the ball is overthrown and the cornerback is beat by a trillion yards and he's still celebrating. That's what this grade resembles because we have to talk about the plays where he should have been just because yeah. the ghost of Carson Wentz cannot make the throw doesn't mean that we should celebrate Trayvon Diggs. So, yeah, and that's and that's been a problem for a while. And, yeah, as you mentioned, I'd love to talk with them about it because why not? Like, why wouldn't we talk about this? All right, so that's that's enough uh, beating up PFF there. Uh, I'm sure they get enough crap from people in their mentions and whatnot, so I'll take it easy on them. They're good guys, man. I hung out with them in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl and whatnot. Chat with them all the time. They're decent. Except for that Seth Galina guy. I just want to slap that guy on the back of the neck in public. I hope you're listening to Seth's hey. party, buddy. All right. <laughs> so that is going to do it for the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode 9. We appreciate you swinging by. And if you appreciate us, we would love it if you went to Apple Podcasts, left five stars, left a written review. Just say you're following directions, whatever you need to do. Steal your girlfriend's phone. Steal your parents' phones. Go on to Apple Podcasts there. Leave another five stars. Whatever you got to do. We'll fix the ballot. I have no problem with that. Uh, but do that for us. We really appreciate it. It helps people uh, find the show. Tell all your friends about us, too, if you uh, feel like what we're doing here. But that has been the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode 9. We appreciate you swinging by. As always, go dominate and have yourselves a day.